I've been very lucky to only work on things in the last little while that mean a huge amount to me. And this film has from the offset meant a huge amount to me because of the story that it tells, because of the conversation that has come from it. But really because, you know, you know, she's real. She's a real woman. She's not perfect. She's not particularly even likable, but, you know, she feels honest. Hello, and welcome to The Awardist from Entertainment Weekly, taking you inside this year's top contenders for the Oscars and more of the industry's biggest awards. I'm Clarissa Cruz, EW's executive editor, joined, as always, by my co-host, David Canfield, EW Movies Editor. And back with us again is our awards expert and resident Penguin Boom stan, Joey Nolfi. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. How confused is Netflix that I've spent this entire season shading Mank and lifting up Penguin Bloom? (laughs) They're shaking. Shaking. (laughs) Shook. Today, Oscar nominee Carrie Mulligan joins us to discuss her performance in Promising Young Woman, which is in the thick of a historically competitive Best Actress race. But before we get into that, and speaking of competition, it's time to get into our final winner predictions ahead of this Sunday's Oscars. We've been tracking how the race has been shifting over the past month, and now are ready to make our final bets. Mm. Ah, I can't believe we're here. It's it's it's, it's been so long. It's almost time. <laughs> it's been so long. Yeah. Well, I think I think we should just go category by category. Just get right into it um, with your predictions. Um, let's do it. Let's do it. So, best picture, Nomadland. Yep. <laughs> Well, I mean, <laughs> yep, I mean it. it's yep. going to be weird not talking about Nomadland <laughs> mm-hmm. being a frontrunner every week because that's been the last two months of my I life. Mean, look at the material. It's right there. <laughs> it's um, it's a lock, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't I don't really anticipate any surprise there. We did predict Parasite last year. A lot of I, I saw a lot of chatter this past week being like, well, remember when everyone was predicting 1917? I was like, mm? yeah, mm? not not in this house. <laughs> um, and more seriously, I, I think that that was a completely different set of circumstances. Yes. You will often see um, broad, more broadly seen studio films uh, take an early lead with guilds. Uh, but Nomadland is hardly a broadly seen studio film. So um, the fact that it has swept across DGA, PGA uh, only indicates that it's an extremely strong film across yeah. the board. It is the safest bet in all the land, the the nomad land, if you will. Um, I mean, Academy members just cannot get enough of seeing Miss Frances do her business in a bucket. It's a classic for that reason. And when they saw that moment happen on the prestige screens at Venice last year, the industry was sold. Or at but, the Rose Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> but for real, you really, I, I can't say it enough, you don't sustain momentum from all ends of the spectrum, from audience awards like TIFF People's Choice, to the juried awards like the Golden Lion at Venice, to critics groups like the Golden Globes and the Critics' Choice, to the industry, PGA, DGA, you don't sustain that kind of passion and then lose the Oscar. It's just, it's not possible. It's not possible. So what about, what about like, this, is there a scenario scenario where Chloe would get Best Director, but No Man Land wouldn't get Best Film? No. <laughs> I mean, I think that that, that scenario is more likely than the reverse, which is Nomadland winning mm-hmm. picture and Chloe losing director, which is to say, mm-hmm. I think you go from that being like a 0% chance to 
you know, maybe Chloe winning without the film, a 0.0001% chance. God, we are confident. Imagine a right in ballot for Penguin Bloom is more likely. Wow. <laughs> oh, Joey, putting it into perspective over there. I feel like that's um, the first time you've been realistic about Penguin Bloom in this race. <laughs> is it? It might be. I, I think uh, so. I think so. Um, so, Chloe, a lock for Best Director. You both yeah. agree? Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, no oh. question. And, no and question. That, this category, I feel like, you know, Bong was a bit of a surprise. Um, mm-hmm. last year for Parasite, but yeah. this is often a category that's pretty well decided. Um, you know, even when Roma was sort of in the hunt for best picture, you knew Alfonso Cuaron was running best director. Um, the Revenant, uh, in the hunt for best picture, you know, Alejandro and Yuritu would win best director and so on and so forth. Um, it's just a little bit easier to predict based on DJ and things like that. So Chloe Zhao is well positioned. It's just their nominations that end up being pretty singular sometimes. Like when they nominate, that's when you expect a curveball. But once the pieces Mm -hmm. start to fall into place, DJ or the director's guild or not the director's guild, the director's branch usually falls in line with the rest of the season. Indeed. Right. Right. Okay. Moving along. Best actor, Chadwick Boseman. Is this another lock? That's a lock. (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's mostly a lock. I mean, I don't think you can say that Anthony Hopkins winning BAFTA is is nothing uh, to the mm-hmm. state state of the race. And Joey's closely listening to this. Oh yes, I am. Um, yeah, but <laughs> I don't know. It's 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 not really one that I would I, I would lose sleep over because the Brits love their Sir Anthony and. In an ordinary year, I think Anthony Hopkins would probably be winning this Oscar, but this mm-hmm. is not an ordinary year. Yes, I agree. Right. I agree. I just think it's funny that we're entertaining anything outside of Chadwick Boseman after I spent much oh. of the season being like, hey, could Riz potentially be a thing? And David being like, don't even say that. Are it's we not even. this as you were right? No, 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 no. no you want to get, get it on record. You want to get it on tape that you that you brought that up. That you brought the chaos, as you always do. I brought it up, and it wasn't even allowed to be entertained. And now we're saying, and now... That's fair. That's fair. (laughs) David's like, you're never going to be on this podcast. However, my prediction has been very steadfast. Yes, it has. Yes, it has. David gets all the credit. I'm just trolling. I'm just trolling David because I love to do it. He does. We all all do. Um, Best actress. Viola Davis. This okay. This one is all over the place, right? Ooh, or is it? Or is it? Or is it? Is it? Are you feeling confident? Would you put money on Viola? No. I feel less confident today than I did yesterday. Yeah. Yeah. What I changed think, your What changed your mind? I, I, I so many things. Yeah. <laughs> what hasn't changed our mind? I mean, this went from what we thought was an assured race to perhaps the most chaotic. I mean, I have to say, I'm saying Viola because she's the only actress who has on the circuit so far, won an industry award, not the Globes, not the Critics' Choice, in a matchup against other Best Actress contenders at SAG, because a lot of them weren't nominated at BAFTA. I mean, For reasons that have nothing to do with their likelihood, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, Because it was a very small nominating nominating committee. Um, But, you know, SAG is the largest and most influential guild that shares membership with the Academy's largest branch. So on paper, I have to go with Viola, but I'm still hoping... Carrie can have a, a late surge here because Carrie is my favorite performance of the five. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I think I would have to, if I had to put money on one of them, it would be Viola. Yeah. 
the reason I feel sort of my confidence has wavered is, is because in many ways, Viola Davis winning SAG makes a ton of sense, you know, on its own. That yeah. movie was an ensemble nominee. She has won SAG to not go on to win the Oscar before. Um, you know, she's beloved among her community mm-hmm. of actors, um, which is not to say that there are not a ton of actors voting for Oscars as well, but it's, it's a different, you know, it's a different kind of group. Um, and, and I just, she hasn't been a clear choice right um there's still a scenario in which promising young woman surges enough where carrie mulligan wins this even Mm -hmm. though she is it's very hard to predict her to win when she hasn't won anything except for the critics choice yeah um which kind of tends to flow along a film Twitter kind of banner sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Frances McDormand is in it too. Yep. Um, even though she didn't have the competition that uh, others have had in other races and really just through a, a fluke nominating process, um, you know, she still is the face of the best picture front runner and is going to be a safe choice for a lot of voters. And she's terrific in the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to keep going down the list. Uh, yeah. Andrew- well, and like you said too, that when, even though BAFTA, um, the nominating committee was small, it was all of BAFTA voting for her. Right. So, I mean, it's, it's not just the seven people that nominated her voting for her to win. It was all of BAFTA. Much like when Olivia Coleman won for The Favorite, which in the vein of Anthony Hopkins, (laughs) we had attributed at the time to sort of a hometown favorite, um, getting her last prize of the season when in fact it was an an indicator of a momentum shift. Yeah. So who's to say? Um, And I think Andrew Day is in it as well because it's, it's, it's the prototypical performance that would win in a lot of ways. You know, Viola is borderline supporting in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Some would argue clearly supporting. Um, and, 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 and Andrew Day is, Andrew Day is Billie Holiday in the United States versus Billie Holiday, and she rocks that movie. Uh, it's the was probably the least seen movie of the five contenders coming into this race, and she still got nominated. She won a Golden Globe, which, you know, a small group, but proof that passion can win out. And if people are watching their screeners, I certainly would not rule her out. Yeah. I just feel like the, the buzz for that has 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 pretty much like that's I feel like I'm hearing yeah, I, I've yeah. been hearing so many more things about the other contenders in this race, whereas I feel like Andra is is sort of it was the globe and then it was downhill from there in terms of the that film's profile in the race. Yeah. Um just in terms of what people are talking about. So who knows? But what you're both saying is that Vanessa Kirby shouldn't be getting her speech ready. <laughs> I mean, she could have oh, reacted. Let's be clear. She she could have, and she did mm-hmm. not. And she did not. Yeah. Uh, right. She, okay. Brilliant performance, though. Nothing, not absolutely not taking anything away from that. That work is just, she is phenomenal in that film. Yeah. I think it's okay. impressive she hung on to get nominated. Yeah. Because it's mm-hmm. such an uncomfortable movie that I feel like a lot of people don't like. Um, yeah. And it came out in a way kind of early because it wasn't, it didn't really have a lot of staying power dropping on Netflix so suddenly. But, you know, she, she, she earned her spot. Justice for Ellen Burstyn. Mm. <laughs> right. Um, best Supporting Actor? Moving on to that. Daniel, Daniel. Kaluuya is your pick. Um, that's, been, that's been pretty pretty straightforward the, the yeah. whole season. Yep. You know? um, yeah. I believe we were the first outlet to put him at number one. Um, ah. 
way mm. back when. And, and mm. is there any, I mean, I was just wondering this the other day, is there, is there any um, danger that Lakeith will split that vote or mm. is, or does that not matter in this case? I don't think it matters. I would point you to three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Um, mm. That was a year that Woody Harrelson was not really considered that much in the race until he started popping up places. He was nominated with Sam Rockwell, who was the front runner. And I think when that happens, it just shows the film is even stronger yeah. and the front runner for that film is an e even more strongly positioned. Um, so I'm not worried about that at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. I agree with both of you here. He's, he's definitely, I think <laughs> the lock for this one. Uh, best supporting actress, Yeo Jung Yoon from Minari. What do y'all think? Is is this is this one in danger at all, or do you, or uh, or do you think this one is is a uh, pretty set? No, I think it's pretty set. I mean, this race very quickly. It's the opposite of best actress. It went from being chaos to pretty much locked up. Um, yeah. And Yoo Jung Yoon is, has now two industry awards against fellow nominees at SAG and BAFTA, so it feels pretty assured. Um, it just sucks that I mean, Glenn Close has to go through this again because I, I mean know. she just is. I just want her to get her Oscar so bad and I don't want it to be the, you know, the career Oscar. I want it to be a competitive Oscar. She just deserves it so much. But I mean, you can't deny her performance in Minari. I mean, it's just, she is the soul of that movie. So it makes sense. Yep. Yeah. What Joey said, I'm, I'm, I'm watching for an upset there. I, mm -hmm. I think she, she's just, people love that movie and yeah. She, yeah. she's the biggest reason to love that movie. Mm -hmm. I think. And along with yeah. Alan Kim. So, um, I'm going to take it as a win for both her and little Ellen King. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. a good way to think of it. Yeah. Cause, cause I, I was, you know, if you remember, uh, which I know you do at the end of right before nominations, I wanted to put Alan Kim in there and I think I did, we did put Alan Kim in there. Well, we but did, I think, but I don't think he, we would ever predict Lakeith over that anyway. So, Oh, right, right, right. But I'm just saying that I think there is my, my reason for doing that was because there clearly is a passion for him and for this whole cast. Totally. Um, so I think a vote for Yoo Jung Yoon is also a vote for people like Yeri Han or, and Alan Kim and the people that didn't get nominated. So people are voting for this as, you know, to recognize Yoo Jung's performance and then also, you know, just the spirit of that movie in general. Because so, yep. I don't, I don't I, anticipate I it winning many other above the line awards. Right, right. I love how you all have been calling him little Alan Kim little this entire Alan time. Kim. He's so cute. Joey was the pioneer so on that. Yeah, I was. <laughs> okay. Best original screenplay, Promising Young Woman. That's who you're predict predicting. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Note that this will be a potentially very historic year. I think it's actually pretty much a lock after Emerald Fennell won um, the WGA. Yes. But if she wins original screenplay over her only competition, which is Aaron Sorkin, um, and if uh, Chloe Zhao wins adapted screenplay, which I think is a very tight race um, over the father, then Chloe wins directing. Like to have both writing categories and the directing Ooh, category be, be won by women is pretty remarkable. Yes, and the first time that's that. ever happened. So, um, yeah, it'll be. So it'll be if this all goes according to our predictions, it would be adapted, original, director, and picture all being. By women, mm -hmm. which oh, is I love just, it. Yeah, I, am, I hope that happens. I am damn close to predicting the father for adapted screenplay, though. I, I really, I, I really feel like Nomadland is not a film that's necessarily going to get 
you know, it's going to get carried along as a best picture frontrunner in that category. And that's always a, a mm-hmm. dangerous place to be. Um, but then again, you know, movies like the King's speech have won screenplay categories bafflingly, um, you know, getting carried along. So that, that's sort of what's keeping me there. I think it is a beautiful screenplay. It's not, not a criticism, but, um, I think the father, first of all, did win BAFTA despite Nomadland doing extremely well at the BAFTAs. Um, and it's, it's just such a rigorous, well-regarded adaptation, uh, of, of the, of the play that the father's based on. Um, I, I think there's a lot of love for it in the Academy and ugh, I'm so close to doing it. I, I really <laughs> so believe close, that but not Nomad enough to predict yet. I, I think that Nomadland has shown yeah. so much consistent strength that, uh, it will carry through. Yeah. But if you, if, I mean, if you look at best picture in the past 10 years or so, um, you know, we've consistently seen the number of trophies that a best picture winner gets like it used to be like nine, 10, they're sweeping all these categories. It's been consistently going down. But the one constant uh, as mm-hmm. those numbers have been going down is a screenplay category. I mean, Birdman, mm-hmm. Spotlight, um, Green, Green Book, Book, Parasite. And then that was just for original. And then for adapted, I think you have things like Argo. Um, mm-hmm. Which aren't even really screenplay mm-hmm. movies. Right, right. And that's what I'm saying is that it's like that tends to be the one people view that as like a best picture light category. So if they want to, if they're also voting for best picture, they're voting for for screenplay as well. Must be getting Um, more predictive than director now, actually, which is really interesting. Editing is also like the the other big one that is is a best picture predictor often, but that's been changing even recently. What are some adapteds that have? Oh, Mm -hmm. Moonlight. But the Moonlight, I I would argue, is a screenplay movie. Um, Yeah. Like what else? Yeah. 12 Years a Slave, Argo. Um, and that's all just in the past 10 years. So, mm-hmm. yeah, Precious as well. But that, oh no, Precious didn't win Best Picture. Never mind. Um, Slumdog Millionaire, the one before right. that. So, yeah, mm-hmm. so it's, back. it's, it's a very predictive category. And I yes. wouldn't, I wouldn't, that's, that's the one thing keeping me from going toward the father. Um, but it is close. It, it feels is weird close. for the father not to win anything. That's the whole. Well, I, I mean, yeah. would I rule yeah. out for editing? You mentioned editing. I mean, yeah. I think Sound of Metal's the front runner there. No Man mm-hmm. Land is not the front runner there. Yeah. Um, but would I rule the father out there? It's also nominated mm-hmm. for production design, which I will yeah. not win. No. Um, but <laughs> that you know, chair though that the, chair. the chair the, <laughs> well I, I think that those like nominating it for editing and production design is such a sign of the respect for the movie because it's it's a minuscule budget production design is where make goes right yeah. it's where blockbusters often go but for this movie where the production design is entirely based on like audience trickery in a, in a, like, a narratively interesting way but you know mm-hmm. the protagonist having dimension constantly playing with how the stage works to, to recognize that in this category is like, this is a movie that we respect and same for yeah. editing because it's, it's all about perception and, and, um, and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, it, it's really beloved and, and maybe Anthony Hopkins pulls something out. Maybe Florian Zeller is a surprise screenplay winner. Um, this is the, this is the movie that I'm really watching to see where it pops up. Gotta watch it. I'd yeah. be shocked if it didn't win anything, mm-hmm. but I also this am this not is... predicting it to win anything. Right. Yeah. This is David's version of bringing the chaos. 
the father. <laughs> the father. The, the daddy, Anthony, as we have called it. Anthony Hopkins in his chair, ringing all this chaos. Ringing <laughs> all the chaos. Um, okay, well, let, let's move on to the telecast itself, which I'm, I'm sort of excited about. I mean, it, it's, it's got a really amazing presenter list, and, and people come in in person. Um, what do you, what do you all think? What do you think is going to happen? it's hard to say i mean because each of the telecasts that we've seen in the pandemic era so far have been so different i mean if you look at things that either have bearing on the film industry or not um they're just all so different like i'm thinking to something like jumping from the emmys which i think the emmys did a really wonderful job Mm -hmm. to something like the mtv vmas which was fantastic um the grammys which were incredible uh, mm-hmm. what else do we have? These, the, the SAG Awards was, was an interesting, succinct rollout. It was like an hour long yeah, presentation. Yeah, that was unique for sure. Um, they've all been so different. So I don't think there's really a precedent that we can look at and say, well, this is what it's going to be like. I think it's just going to, we're, we're expecting something to be completely unexpected. Yeah. Um, right. I'm, I'm excited to see the push for in-person stuff while that has been controversial. And I think they've figured out some nice compromises, um, you know, it will be nice to see people like last year's Oscar winners, all four of whom in the acting categories are returning to present, as is the tradition, you know, being back on the stage, uh, as opposed to Laura Dern's sort of awkwardly standing in front of a muted Daniel Kaluuya. <laughs> Christ, digital crisis manager, crisis Laura manager. Dern. Digital crisis manager, Laura Dern. Yes, I want to see that again. <laughs> but I'm glad that they get to have that moment, uh, whatever it may look like, which I don't think is particularly clear and um I'm, I'm interested to see how people like maria bakalova and carrie mulligan who are not currently in the united states figure in uh you know whether we see them <laughs> oh wait carrie might I mean, still be because carrie was here for saturday night live oh yes she was that's true so she maybe she maybe stay. she is staying she probably and, did stay yeah maybe yeah, Emerald bumped I mean, with her yeah. No, Emerald is still in a coffee shop with poor cell service, um, which is apparently where she was on Oscar nominations morning, according to That's Carrie. Correct. I, I think they'll figure out a way. I think I think unless you're in Australia where you have to quarantine and can't kind of go back, like that's I think that's the only uh, the only blocker. But I, I think others can sort yeah. of figure out a way um, to get there. Unfortunately, Kylie Minogue and the cast of Penguin Bloom, which is an Australian <laughs> production, are not nominated this year, so they don't have to worry about Australia. <laughs> Exactly. Um, Well, on that note, we have to take a break. And when we come back, we have Joey's interview with Carrie Mulligan, Promising Young Woman. It's no secret that Carrie Mulligan gave one of my favorite performances of the year in the sublime Promising Young Woman, but she also gave one of my favorite interviews of the year in which she showed me her lucky pair of what were once pink fuzzy slippers that Emerald Fennell gave her at Sundance and have since become a taupe mess because she has been wearing them all season long as a good luck charm. So please enjoy this conversation with Carrie Mulligan. I am so excited to welcome our guest today who had an influential hand in reviving Paris Hilton's music career. I am just now kicking myself for not wearing my vinyl nurse outfit and rainbow wig to do this interview. Please welcome the endlessly talented star of Emerald Fennell's Promising Young Woman, Carrie Mulligan. How are you, Carrie? 
I'm good, thank you. How are you? I am doing wonderful. It's always so great to speak with you. Thank you so much for being here. And we have extremely important matters to discuss today. Um, the most important being, the last time I interviewed you um, about this movie, you told me that you were enjoying the at-home Oscar cycle because you got to do it while wearing a cozy pair of pink fuzzy slippers that Emerald gave you at Sundance. So is that yeah. the case today? This is really bad because I've worn them so much. <laughs> <laughs> they're not pink anymore. They're not pink anymore. And they're sort of, I've had to wash them a couple of times because they've gotten, oh, anyway. So I'm, I'm thinking about splashing out and getting myself some new ones. You have to keep those though. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to keep these ones, obviously. Yes, yeah. they're a good luck charm. They've been doing you so well this season. So keep wearing them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> No, it is it is a strange concept, as is everything these days, navigating this very odd award season from home. So going back to the beginning of the season, you came on so strong very early on for Promising Young Woman, lots of critical praise, a Golden Globe nomination, SAG nomination, Critics' Choice. So at the beginning of the season, when you started getting nominations, was there like a favorite room in the house that you discovered is the most comforting in which to discover that you had been nominated for another award? Like, is there a nominations morning wing of the house? What's good is that I'm on a different time zone and I've got two small children, so I can sort of just, you know, blank out of the whole thing. The only one I saw happen properly was the Golden Globes, which was amazing, but also terrifying because my name came last. So by the time the fourth nomination was out, I said to my husband, I was like, well, that's over. So let's just, and I was about to shut the laptop and then I, it got announced and I was like, <gasps> um, so it was so exciting. But no, most of the time it's just been, I've been getting a lovely phone call and, you know, my, have to silence my children for a second whilst I talk to someone. Um, yeah, it's been lovely. Yes, it, it, you've done so well this season. Um, and you, of course, have done this award circuit before with the parties and the campaigning for an education. Um, so how has it changed the art of award season for you having to do it at home? Like, is it, do you think it's harder to break into the conversation in this landscape that isn't reliant on traditional in-person events? I don't know. I've had a lot more kind of significant conversations, I think. It might also be the subject matter of our film, which inspires that kind of stuff. I don't know, it just feels like, you know, I think because we've had Zoom and we've had, you know, the time and there's been the opportunity and there's been the interest. It's been, you know, we've had like 45 minute long, hour long Q&As and conversations. And so in that sense, I, I think it's been, you know, it's been really interesting to talk about the film. And um, I'm, I'm OK not going to the party. <laughs> honestly I mean part you know what what I do think you know miss is I, I wish we could have had a premiere I wish we could have I could have seen Bo and you know all of our amazing cast and all been together but um I think you know there is an element to where it's you know the silver lining and I think we all have to focus on the silver linings at the moment the silver lining is that we've I've gotten to be at home with my family I haven't had to travel a lot so you know there's been lots of plus sides as well um but obviously everyone wants to wear a dress or pink fuzzy slippers that have now turned tan. That's true. <laughs> and it must be, I think, another bummer must be not being able to be out there on the trail seeing all of your fellow Best Actress nominees that have sort, sort of traveled the circuit with you during this time, usually. Um, so has that adapted, I guess, 
to sort of digital as well? Like, is there a group text with you and Viola Davis and Frances McDormand happening somewhere? Wish. <laughs> um, there is not, but I, Vanessa Kirby and I are on, have a little WhatsApp chain going where we've been sort of digitally high-fiving each other. <laughs> and also you get to tell people in real life how much you love their film. Um, you know, and at the moment you can't do any of that stuff. So Vanessa and I are sort of going to virtually hold hands through the experience. And what an amazing performance she gave this year too. Um, that, I mean, that movie is just, wow. Well, let's go. I, I do want to talk to you a little bit about an education back in 2009, you got your first nomination, um, which was at a very different stage of your early career. So sort of doing this now, just having that experience and that built up career and 12 years worth of experiences in the industry, does that change your confidence or the way you sort of navigate award season versus how you did back then? I think at the time it was so overwhelming and surprising because, you know, an education was a film that we made for nothing and, you know, went to Sundance, it got picked up and then this whole thing happened. It was so unexpected and I really didn't imagine, I'd never had it in my mind that any of that kind of stuff would happen. So I think I was catching up to it a lot and sort of feeling like I shouldn't really, you know, I felt sort of unqualified and sort of freaked out by all of it. And I think I always look back and think, oh man, I wish I just had fun. And I did towards right towards the end, I started to sort of relax and and enjoy it. But I think so much of it I spent thinking like, oh, I don't want to get this wrong. And you know, you know, and I think there's there's so much pleasure in it. You know, it's amazing to be in something that's recognized. And um and and again I there's an element to which this time around, like promising young woman was never well, this was never our expectation. You know, it was a tiny film we made it in 23 days, you know, it was very, um, very much on the indie side. And I think because we have incredible distributors in focus and because a great deal of effort went into making the film look bigger than it was, I think that's often, so it's easy to, to, um, to not see that, but it was like this tiny, tiny passion project really. And everyone was on it because they loved it. So it's even more meaningful because of that, you know, this wasn't a film where, you know, where anyone had these, we all just made it because we loved it and we believed in Emerald and we wanted to tell this story because we believed in it. And, and for it, for that to get recognition is just super emotional, <laughs> I have to say. I know that it has, it has been a very short time since Promising Young Woman came out, but I think it's such a unique role. It's really, we're seeing you in a very different light than I think a lot of people are used to. Um, I, have you had any have you noticed a shift in what people have been maybe offering you since this has come out? Like, have, have you been offered things that you don't think you would have been offered prior to doing something like Promising Young Woman? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think it's, it, you know, I think you're, I'm so kind of, I never really think about, often when I've done press, people have been like, well, we know you so much for these costume dramas and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh yeah, I don't really think about it like that. You know, I don't sort of, I didn't read Wildlife and think like, oh, this is a costume drama. I read it and was like, what? this is such a crazy part. And I, you know, I was just so excited about working with Paul. And I think it's the perception is sort of so different from the experience. And because I've done contemporary plays as well, the theatre that I've done has been very modern. You know, I feel like I've been playing, but on screen, I suppose there has been, um, I've been much more in kind of classical stories and retellings of stories. So I think so. I think there's been, you know, a bit of a shift uh in that sense but it's just i think it's you know when you're in something that people enjoy you know it's just reminds people that you're there and um and that's really exciting you know there's there's just so many talented directors that i'm desperate to work with and so to have something where i can say like oh look this is me 
not in a corset, you know, <laughs> um, it's just a nice, it's a, an amazing thing to be able to, to share. Yeah, definitely not corsets in this movie. I mean, this there are some really wild costumes here um, that complement the tone of the film so well. <laughs> Promising Young Woman is so, it's so interesting to me because it is this buzzy movie that in a nutshell, I think, if you're forced to, you can sum up as a rape revenge story, which I've been seeing a lot of people do. But we, it's about so much more than that. And it's all over social media. There's a lot of analysis and conversation online happening about this movie, which I think is really helping the awards excitement too. So what has it felt like to you to release a movie like this to a social media heavy culture that's actually, I think, ready to accept and talk about it as we've seen? Do you think that this would have been possible even 10 years ago um, to release a movie like this and have it sort of pick up this much steam based largely on the conversations happening online? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's just such a you know, it's such a different landscape now. Um, even from when I started working, you know, I remember a friend of mine getting Twitter, you know, when it sort of started. And I was like, what? What? You just tell people what you're doing all the time? This is so strange. And I've never been on it and I've never kind of engaged in it, you know, just because for me, I, I know myself too well, it would just drive me mad. But Twitter is such a, it can be such a powerful tool. It can be a powerful tool as we've seen, you know, in activism and in conversation and people feeling like they you know have somewhere to go to you know they they form connection and they you know they feel listened to and heard and um and it's also you know predominantly in my life the the, the one thing that i've wished i've had social media for is to be able to talk about charity stuff because it's an amazing platform for charities and fundraising and advocacy um but i think with this film you know a lot of the conversation is people you know working out what makes them feel uneasy about the film that's that, you know that that's a really good outcome for us you know there's there's no desire on either of our parts for everybody to feel one way about the film or uniformly love it you know it's very much it, it's it's a as, as true a story as we felt you know and particularly for emerald but you know for everyone to have all of these feelings about it i think is is great you know we, it's and i don't know if that would have been possible without social media and and we you know just the fact that this is a conversation that's starting up between friends and between family members you know, that is just so exciting for us. Yeah, the interesting thing about that, too, is I'm noticing that that there's not really one specific age group, I think, that's talking about this, too. Like, I see very young girls and, and also older people online alike talking about it and sharing experiences related to this film. So um, it is really interesting to see a film take hold of so many different demographics in the way that this one has. And I think that you know, it, this movie was originally slated to come out in April of 2020 in theaters, um, and it was pushed to December and has mostly been seen digitally on VOD. So do you think in a strange way, and in, in no way minimizing the seriousness of what has gone on with the pandemic, but that that digital focused rollout and the life that the film has had helped the film catch on with a specific audience that way in a way it might not have if um, theatrical was the way that this one went? Yeah, I think that's certainly the case, you know, and again, you have to look at the silver linings, like it has been a horrific year in, in you know, and when we're talking about this, no way minimizing how awful it's been, but we were sort of sad that we didn't have the release that we were going to have, we were gearing up to do all of that stuff. And then, you know, England locked down, I think, you know, the intention was always for it to be seen on a big screen, the cinematography, costume design, the design of the film is so amazing. But I do think there's a there's, you know, definitely people who've seen there's, 
even with, amongst my sort of family and friends, there are people who've seen this film. You know, I've got relatives in America who've watched it on demand, who I really doubt would ever have gone to the cinema to go and see it. So it's definitely, I think, I think, you know, maybe it's made people sort of, I think we're also so desperate for things that we love, aren't we? So desperate to watch something that we enjoy. So I think, you know, it's made people sort of maybe step out of their comfort zone and watch things that they might not have necessarily watched if life was totally normal. The now, subject of the film, I think, is sometimes dark. There are lighter moments throughout this film handled so well by you and and Emerald's direction. And your chemistry with Bo is just, it's so great. And I don't want to spoil anything. It's just, but it's its so great throughout the film. And that scene where you spit in his coffee, though, like, I mean, I keep going back to that. I laugh so hard every time it happens. But I have to know, because the cuts are very quick there. Did he actually drink it? Because it happens so quick. He did. He did. Yeah. It was very pre-COVID, I have to say. It was a full year before any of this. But yeah, he did. He did it like three or four times. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. No, I wasn't expecting that. I thought that was like a one and done thing. Like, no, we drink the spit once, we're done. No, but he did it three times. There was one take where... I was off camera and I spit in it anyway, and I didn't have to. And he was right. <laughs> and then there was a couple of takes where it was like a two shot, so he had to. But there was one take where I just forgot and I spat in it properly and then gave it to him and he had no choice but to drink it. And then we cut and I was like, I actually did spit in it. <laughs> and he, was, he was very patient and sweet about the whole thing. Gosh, that's, that's great. I love that. The thing that you are probably so sick of talking about, the scene, the Paris Hilton scene, it's just so good. I, I have to talk to you about it again. I mean, the musical in the middle of a drugstore, I mean, that is just genius. I can't believe I'm asking this, but was that like choreographed? Like, were there rehearsals with just you and Bo dancing to Paris Hilton beforehand? No, the prep along with, <laughs> like everything else in this film, the prep was like, Here's a printed A4 sheet of the words, go and learn it. And then we came in and we got Emerald put Bo on one side of an aisle and me on the other. And she was like, we have clearance for all of these products. So feel free to do whatever you want to with them. And we just sort of went in to it. And uh, I was very resistant at the beginning and kept on hiding behind my character saying, I don't think Cassie would ever do this. And then about two takes in, Emerald came and gave me um, a telling off and told me that I needed to enter into the spirit of it. (laughs) At which point I was like, okay, fine, I'll do it. And then, you know, it was very, very good fun. Mm -hmm. And then popping potato chip bags just happened. And the whole crew were humming Stars Are Blind for like a week afterwards, obviously, just going around in their heads. That scene just gets better and better the more I hear about it. So, um, you know, on top of so many other things, it's just carried this performance. It's just, it's, I can't stop talking about how brilliant it is. It's career-topping work for you, in my opinion, as a fan of your work. I I think it really is. So what would it mean to you to win an Oscar for this performance? And not just like an Oscar in general, but like an Oscar for this film. Like, would winning it for this role mean more to you because of what the film represents and seeing what it, the conversations that it's starting with people? Thank you, first of all. That's so kind of you to say. Um, Gosh, I mean, yeah, I think so. I mean, I think that's, you know... I've been very lucky to only work on things in the last little while that mean a huge amount to me. And this film has from the offset meant a huge amount to me because of the story that it tells, because of the conversation that has come from it. But really because, you know, someone said to me like, oh, this is the ultimate feminist movie. And I was like, well, yeah, but it's feminist because it's, you know, she's real. She's a real woman. She's not perfect. She's not particularly even likable, but, you know, she feels honest and, And I think that's what makes it feminist, aside from the fact that we've got, you know, Emerald, who wrote, directed, produced Margot Robbie, who 
produced and you know bought this film off the pre-title sequence pitch you know this film has been championed and made by women um and this character just felt incredibly real and we just poured our hearts and souls into it so you know just to have any of this stuff is really meaningful to us and so exciting so yes for it to go any further than this would be extraordinary but you know having come this far it just it does feel dreamlike all of it when we finished filming i had to come in the day after i wrapped to be there for the last scene because i didn't want to be at home because i was so sad it was over so it was that kind of you know we all just we just loved it and we wanted to be together for longer than we were. So it was, it, I think it means a lot to everyone, to the whole cast and to the whole crew that the film is getting this kind of recognition. And that's so well-deserved. I think that that is a really lovely and hopeful note to end on. I, I cannot thank you enough for talking with me and congratulations so much on the success that you're having with this movie. It's just truly sublime work. Thank you so much. So nice to talk to you again. Well, that's all from us today. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Awardist, and thanks to Joey, as always, for his analysis and expertise. Please subscribe and listen along every week wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us, tell us what you think, share it with your friends. You can also head to ew.com awardist for complete coverage of this year's Oscar race, or pick up a copy of EW's gorgeous Oscar issues, which are now on stands, featuring exclusive interviews with several of this year's nominees. You can follow me on Twitter at DavidCanfield97, Clarissa at ClarissaNYC1, and Joey at Joey Nolfi. We'll be back on the morning after next week for our season finale to break down all the surprises of the night, and we'll be joined by our last guest of the season, double nominee Leslie Odom Jr. of One Night in Miami. Thanks for listening. This has been The Awardist.